0: The reading this morning will come from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, Reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thank you for reading that for us this
1: morning. It's a privilege to be here today. And I'm reminded of what the psalmist writer said in Psalms 118, verse 24. He said, This is a day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And isn't it ended a privilege on the first day of the week to be able to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ and to worship together? This morning, as, a, as we study, I hope that the things that I want to say are very clear. I heard about a preacher one time that had a conversation with one of the elderly members of the church, and they both got their point across, and they were very clear. You see, the preacher, after he finished his sermon that Sunday morning, he was standing in the back and was shaking hands with everybody, and this elderly lady came through, and she let him have it. didn't have anything to do with his sermon. He had not been able to visit her for a while, and so she was disappointed that he hadn't come by. Well, he tried to explain to her that he had tried to come by, and she was not there, but she wouldn't have any of it. She would not listen to him, and so she just closed her mind, and she walked out the door mad. Well, he decided right then and there what he was going to do is was he was going to visit her that afternoon. And so as soon as the building cleared out and he had a little lunch, he went over to visit this lady. He got to her house and he, he pulled in the driveway and he was very happy because he saw the front door open. And he saw the lights on in the living room and he, know, he knew that the lady had to be home. So he went to the door and he knocked and he knocked and he knocked. He waited for her to come to the door. And after about five minutes, he realized she wasn't coming to the door. So he took out his business card and he wrote a Bible verse on the back of it. And what he wrote was Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And Revelation three twenty says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And so he thought, I've made my point. And he felt good about what he had done. Well, that evening... After the services, he went back out to his car. And the lady had left the business card that he had left on his windshield. And she had written Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. And it says, And he said, I heard the sound of your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. (laughs) They both made their points. And I hope this morning... (laughs) <laughs> that what we study will be something that useful to you and help you in your life. Hope is something that is a very powerful thing in our lives. In fact, G.K. Chesterton said that there is no medicine like hope, no incentive so great, and no tonic so powerful as expectation of something better tomorrow. And we understand that. Emily Dickinson said in one of her poems, she said, Hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul. O.S. Martin said, There's no medicine like hope. Pliny said, Hope is the dream of a walking man. And Martin Luther said, Everything that is done in this world is done by hope. When we hear the word hope, we have a lot of things that come into our mind. The dictionary defines hope as to have a wish, or to to get, or to do something, or for something to happen, or to be true, especially something that seems possible or likely. When we think about hope from the world's viewpoint, it's just what these definitions describe. The world sees hope as a wish or a desire. Hope for the world is a longing for something that may or may not take place. But I believe that the Bible teaches us a vastly different definition of hope. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7, Jeremiah said, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. The world says that hope is merely a fond wish or a desire. But the words used for hope in the Bible tell us a different story. They teach us that hope is a deep, settled confidence that God will keep His promises. That God will do what He says He will do. The verse that was read this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, there Peter writes to a group of people who are struggling. They've got their problems, they've got a lot of things going on in their lives, and they're struggling. And I'll be honest with you, they're just like us. We all have things in our life that calls us to struggle and calls us to question our faith. But what he writes to them and encourages them in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want you to notice that part there. About third line, fourth line down where he says that he's caused us to be born to a living hope. A hope that is real, that we can count on, that we know is going to happen, that Jesus is going to come back and we're going to spend our eternity with him in heaven. And I want us to notice what he says about that this morning. Because he gives us several reasons that we have a living hope. And you see, the Christians that he's writing to were were, were struggling with the world. The devil was after them. They were being punished. They were being persecuted for their faith. And so they needed to have that living hope. And what Peter does is he tells them that they have a living hope. And he gives them several reasons that they have a living hope. The first reason that he gives them the fact that they have a living hope is the fact that God is merciful. God. Is merciful and aren't you glad that God is merciful that God has mercy on us I found in my life that most of the time people that aren't close to us we want them to receive justice but people that are close to us, that are in our family that are our friends, we want them to be receiving mercy, Judge McKenzie there in Chester County, he was a former elder at the Henderson Church, is a good man And he told me that he has never had anybody come before him in a courtroom and ask for justice. They just don't do that. They come before him and what they want is they want him to be merciful to them. And aren't we glad that our God is a merciful God? That he's not one that gives us what we deserve. You see, our hope is not based on our own righteousness because... Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 and verse 10, John says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So you see what I'm saying this morning is we all, want mercy from God. We don't want justice. We don't want what we deserve because we've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all made mistakes. We've all fallen and we've all sinned. But what we want from God is mercy. And our hope is based on God's abundant mercy. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 it says, But God commended His love toward us and then while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. You see, even though we were sinners, even though we continue to sin, Christ died in our place to pay the price for our sins. In 1 John chapter 1, in verse 9, John writes and he he reminds us there exactly how merciful and how good God is because John is one of my first John is one of my favorite books because of the great message contained there but in verse 9 he says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and I'm glad that our God is merciful that when we sin when we fall short that we can repent we can turn away from that sin and we can return to God my son when he was in kindergarten, he's 17 now, and 6'3", and 210, so he's a big boy now. But when he was in kindergarten, he had a soft, tender heart. And he, and he still does. And he talks to me a lot. He came home from school one day, and he gets there before I get, get off work. And so when I got home from work and sat down, I could tell something was wrong. And I looked at him, and I said, Daniel, what's wrong with you? And he said, Daddy... I got in trouble at school today. And I thought, well, he's a kindergartner. He couldn't have done much. And, of course, my wife is the principal of elementary school, so she already knew about it, and I would have known anyway. You know, I guess that's one reason he told me, because he knew I'd find out. But he said, I got in trouble today. And I said, what did you do? He said, I was talking too much. Now, any of you know him? No, that's not a stretch. <laughs> I can see him talking too much in class and getting in trouble. And then he started crying as I looked at him. And he realized that he had disappointed me or let me down. And he looked up at me, a little five-year-old boy, and he says, Daddy, do you still love me? And of course I said, of course I do. I still love you. There's nothing you can ever do that would keep me from loving you. And isn't that what God says to us? God loves us regardless of what we do, but we need to put those sins behind us and we need to return to Him and we serve a merciful God. We serve a God who loves us, who allowed His Son to die for us. In fact, in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, it says, "...who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us, not from some iniquities, but from all iniquities." and purifying to himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. You see, that's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he took my place and your place on that cross is because we serve a merciful God. And I'm glad that we do. And I know that you are too. The second reason he gives there that we have a living hope is the fact that Jesus is... Alive, Jesus is alive. I'm sure the world thought that when they put him on the cross, they crucified him, they hung him there, and they watched him die, that that was it. That that was it. But the resurrection of Jesus is very crucial to our faith, and it's crucial to our hope. In fact, Paul said that if Jesus did not rise from the grave, then we are of most people in the world to be pitied. But we know that He did rise from the grave. And it's through His resurrection that we've been born again to a living hope. I can't imagine how despondent the disciples were after Jesus was crucified on the cross. I can't begin to think. They'd spent three years with Him and they'd been around Him. They'd watched Him do these miracles and they'd watched Him do these great things. And when He was hung on that cross and He was pronounced dead, I'm sure they were devastated. But His resurrection... Brought them hope. Helped them to realize that God was and is the great God. And His resurrection today leads us to our hope that when we're born again, we can have that same hope. The very fact that Jesus rose gives us reason for a living hope. Jesus said in John chapter 11 and verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Even though he died, even though he was put in that tomb, that grave, he was resurrected and he lives. He lives today. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. There's no other way except through Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's a fact. He has been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. He continues and said, for as by man came death, by man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then in His coming, those who belong to Christ. You see, Christ was resurrected from that grave. Death was not victorious over Him. And because of that, death will not be victorious over us. Because Jesus is alive. He's alive today. And we need to remember that. Because of the fact that God is merciful... Because of the fact that Jesus is alive, we can have that living hope. But he continues, as we look at verse 4 of First uh, Peter chapter 1, he talks about, second, thirdly here, he talks to us and he tells us that we have an incorruptible inheritance. When we read that verse, verse 4, he says, "...an inheritance that is imper- imperishable, Undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. I've heard a lot of stories about people and inheritances. I know the story of uh, the prodigal son. How he came to his father and he wanted his inheritance before his father died. And he went out and he squandered it and he wasted it. And and he spent it riotously and he came back and his father received him back. But he had spent his inheritance. I read a story about a man in Michigan that back in the early 1900s had millions and millions of dollars. But because his family was estranged and there were troubles there and struggles there, that millions of dollars had sat in the bank all those years because he did not give it to his children or to his grandchildren, but he had left it for his great-great-grandchildren because of the bitter anger he had toward his family. When we read about that and we hear about things like that, it just astonishes us that people can be that angry with people that they're supposed to love. But when we think about an inheritance, we know that's something that we have coming to us when someone dies. Now, what Peter is saying is we have an incorruptible inheritance, a her- an inheritance that's imperishable, one that's undefiled, one that's unsold, one that does not fade away, one that does not rust, it does not wither, it does not lose its beauty. When I turned 16, I got an automobile. That was back in 1980, and I got a Dodge Charger. When I got that car, I thought that I would have that car forever, and I thought that thing will last forever, but you know, today, it's sitting in some junkyard somewhere because it wrecked it shortly, not too long after I got it, and that vehicle that I thought would last me forever, that I'd have forever, is useless now. But the inheritance that we're talking about is an inheritance that nobody can take away from us. And that inheritance is reserved in heaven. It's set aside and it's safely guarded. Nobody can take our inheritance away from us. You see, that inheritance will never perish. It'll never spoil. It'll never fade. It will be there for eternity. And because of that, that inheritance we have, we have this living hope. In verses 7 and 8 of 1 John, First Peter chapter 1, we read, "...so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." The fourth reason we have a living hope is because we can have genuine faith in Christ and inexpressible joy. This hope that we have leads to a joy that nobody can take away from us. It leads to faith in Christ that people can't understand and they can't take it away from us. It's worth more than all the silver and all the gold in the world. And it helps us make it through the tough times. It helps us have the faith that when things are tough, when things are looking down, we still look to God. James chapter one and verse three it says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know, we look at this and we know that the trials we go through, the the testing that we endure helps us become the person that God wants us to become. He mentioned in verses 7 and 8 there about gold. Fire does not destroy gold, but it gets rid of its impurities. Testing produces strengthened faith, and it helps us to become who God wants us to become. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, and he says in the past you were born again. You became a new creature. He says in the present you're the elect. You're the chosen ones of God. And in the future what you have is heaven. And he assures us that we can have that genuine faith. And because of that, we can have inexpressible joy. I quoted Psalms 118, verse 24. You know, we need to have that inexpressible joy when we come together to worship God because it's a privilege, it's an honor. Too many times we make worship about us instead of about God. But when we come to worship God, it's about God, it's about us giving our best to God. Because we have a genuine faith and we express our inexpressible joy. We let Him know how happy we are to be His children. And when we think about that, that's amazing. But I want us to notice one last verse. And that's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. He says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You see, the end result of us having this living hope is that... We have our salvation. Our ability to spend our eternity with God in heaven. But let me tell you what that requires. That requires that we be obedient to the Lord. That we do the very best we can to serve Him every single day. We're going to fall short. We're going to let Him down. But He still loves us. And He sent His Son to die for us these blessings of mercy the fact that Jesus is still alive the inheritance they're only available to those who are in Christ and I need to ask you this morning are you in Christ it would be a shame for you to turn your back on this living hope that we have that's mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 1 because it helps us make it through each and every day This morning, if you're not a Christian, you've not given your life to God, it's time for you to do that. Maybe you've heard the Word of God, you believe it, you're ready to repent of your sins, to confess the name of Jesus, and to be baptized for the remission of your sins, so that you can have this living hope. We'd be glad to assist you to do that. But it could be this morning that you are a Christian and you've turned away from God, you've left your first love, you don't have that living hope that Peter talks about here in 1 Peter chapter 1, what I would encourage you to do this morning is to give your life to God. It could be that you need to just say a prayer where you're sitting at and ask God to forgive you. It could be that you need to ask this good church to pray for you. But whatever it is, this morning, please don't leave with your life not right with God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have that living hope when we serve God and when we put Him first. This morning, if you need to put Christ on in baptism, or if you need to ask for prayers of the church here, I want to encourage you to do that, and we'll invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.